Hi, this is Mark Spiegler. Welcome to Intersections, the Art Basel podcast, brought to you by UBS. The mid-year review from the Art Basel and UBS Art Market Report came out last week. This week, our correspondent Annie Shaw, a contributing editor of the art newspaper, interviews economist Dr. Claire McAndrew, author of the report. And Jenny Fulton, Art Basel's executive editor, speaks to Paul Donovan, chief economist of global wealth management at UBS, about the broader economic picture. As always, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a very special episode taped on the ground in Basel, Switzerland, as we prepare to launch our first show there in more than two years. Hi, I'm Annie Shaw, and I'm a contributor to Intersections. Today, I'm talking to the cultural economist, Claire McAndrew, about her new report, Resilience in the Dealer Sector, a Mid-Year Review 2021, published by Art Basel and UBS. McAndrew is also the author of Art Basel's definitive art market report, but her mid-year survey presents an analysis of the global dealer sector in the first half of 2021 amidst the continued challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. In our conversation, we talked about how dealers have adapted to the brave new digital world, how millennial collectors have helped keep the art market afloat, not just through online sales, and how NFTs have contributed to a greater focus on digital art. We also look at how, as the number of female billionaires has been increasing faster than men, spending by women is up one third on 2020 levels, and now more than double the level of their male counterparts. Enjoy the conversation. So Claire, we're going to dive straight in, and your report suggests that some stability is returning to the gallery sector, with employment figures for now at least looking to be stabilising and sales increasing 10% overall compared with this time last year. But one of the biggest changes has been this pivot to online. As your report states, in 2019, just 10% of sales were made online. That figure rose to 39% in 2020 and dipped slightly to 37% in the first half of 2021. I think that's really been the standout finding of the report for the last couple of years is this huge shift to online. But if we just consider online gallery sales, so that's sales that galleries make through their website or online viewing room or through an email, then the sales went from around 12% if you're using this gallery sample in 2019 to 30% in 2020 and then 33% this year. I think it's if you include art fair OVRs, that's where there was a slight dip this year. It went from 13 in 2019 to 39 to 37. So the biggest proportion of online sales being made by far this year and in last year's figures as well is sales by galleries on their own platforms. And if anything, I think that slight dip in the figures for the first six months of this year has been down to more sales actually taking place in the gallery. And that's, I suppose, a little bit of a silver lining for some of this crisis is that collectors and dealers have both said more anecdotally that they are visiting galleries again. And this has been shown in the statistics as well. So, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. That is the really standout finding. And I think it is millennial collectors are hugely important for the market. And in this survey, we did research again with UBS Investor Watch on high net worth collectors over five markets. And the median expenditure of millennial collectors was by far the highest overall. So that was 378,000. And that was nearly double Gen X spending for the first six months and close to four times that of boomers. And I think what was even more interesting was that the increase in spending in this six-month period that we looked at from January to June 2021, not only did it increase on last year, it was actually more than they'd spent in 2019. So, this is so extraordinary. Were, I know, yeah. <laughs> so higher than other generations, but also higher than their own spending in 2019. That really struck me too, the levels at, at which millennials are spending. So what exactly are they 
buying with that money? I mean, are they particularly looking at digital art? If you look at high net worth collectors generally, I mean, most spending is still on traditional mediums. So that's paintings, unique works of art, paintings, sculptures, works on paper. That's around a third of their median spend. But we did see a spike in interest in digital art. Overall, it accounted for about 12%. And millennials, again, had the highest spending. They averaged about 20,000, their median spend on digital art in the first six months of the year. But there was a small proportion, about 6% of the millennials that we surveyed had spent more than a million on digital art. And that was the same proportion that it spent at that level on painting. So it's it's a small but significant finding. And I think more anecdotally, talking to dealers and people that work in this sector, that is a huge advance. There was an interesting figure, again, that 9% of millennials spent 1 million or more on photography too. So that was greater than yeah. digital art and painting. So there's a real sort of changing of the world order in terms of what is deemed the most valuable or collectible it's not just painting and sculpture anymore. Absolutely. I mean, I think you do have to be a little bit careful, even if you look at the Gen Z collectors, and these were a fairly small proportion of our sample. So they're kind of the ones to watch, but we're not capturing it just because of the screening criteria, I think, in terms of wealth and, and their activity levels. Their biggest spending is still on those traditional mediums. So they spent four times as much on paintings as they did on digital art but they're a lot more active online. And this is obviously something that we need to track going forward. Sticking with millennials and concerning their buying habits, there's an extraordinary statistic in your report, which is that 35% of millennial collectors had more than 30% of their wealth held in art, 10% more than their Gen X peers and more than double the level of boomers, which backs up a relatively recent understanding of art as an asset class. But it also struck me as quite a risky strategy. I mean, what's behind this generational shift? That was, I mean, it is a very high average and again, higher than their older peers, you know, the boomers and even Gen X. But I think that is down to a certain degree of lifestyle factors, I think, or life cycles. People do build up assets such as property and businesses and other assets over time. But it does very much indicate that younger collectors have a huge proportion of their wealth invested in art. I think it is important always to remember this is a particular sample. So we're looking at high net worth collectors that have had to have over a million in personal assets, excluding property and things, to get into the sample. And they also had to be very active in the market over the last few years. So there were screening criteria for 2019, 20 and 21 in terms of how much they had to spend. So they are a high spending group, but I think it is very interesting. And I think some of that wealth could be inherited works as well, because there's been a lot of talk about this intergenerational wealth transfer coming from boomer parents down to millennials and Gen Z children. And I think this is going to be really interesting interesting to see what they do with not just the wealth they're inheriting, but actually with the collections as well. I mean, is it still what they want to collect? Are these fantastic collections of kind of even modern and contemporary art, post-war and contemporary art that some boomers have built, is that still what millennials and Gen Z want to collect or will they sell them on? And what will happen when all of this comes onto the market in a relatively short space of time? Will it still be as valuable as it is now? So there's a lot of questions that I think are going to be very interesting dynamics in the resale market over the next kind of 10 to 20 years as well. Yeah, definitely one to watch. And now a brief word from our partners at UBS. Here's today's insight from the Art Basel and UBS Global Art Market Review, brought to you by UBS. The world is starting a great wealth transfer. Over the coming years, ownership of many trillions of dollars of assets will shift to the millennial generation. 
Well-off millennials may never own a car, but those surveyed spent around a third of a million dollars on art in the first half of this year, higher than their parents' generation. How will this transform the market? For more insights, visit ubs.com slash collecting. And now back to the show. So, Claire, you identified digital art as a potential area of growth. And as anyone who's not been living on the moon will know, the market for NFTs has seen exponential growth over the past year or so. But just how much of an impact have NFTs had? I think there's obviously been a huge interest in NFTs in this first six months of the year. And there's some very interesting data in the report about sales on NFT platforms, looking at all categories, sales on Ethereum. This is from nonfungible.com. Sales went from about 17 million in the first half of 2020 to 1.3 billion in the first half of 2021. So it's an extraordinary rise. But obviously that covers all kinds of categories, everything from collectibles related to sports, to music, to entertainment. So the art element was about 25% of that in the first half of the year, so about 324 million, but still a huge amount of sales going on and sales going on outside the traditional gallery infrastructure. It's the certificate of authenticity that represents the store of value. And it's the fact that this is digital and obviously stored on the blockchain that makes it instantly tradable. And that's helped to catalyze this very bubble-like secondary market that we've seen for the last six months. So it's very easy and quick to trade in and out of NFTs at a much more rapid pace than would be possible in the very traditional secondary art market. But I think most dealers and collectors are very positive about the impact of NFTs. Obviously, they've expanded the interest in art and collectibles people interested in this segment that weren't before and that are getting involved in buying. And there's also an increased focus again, as we've picked up with the high net worth collectors and the gallery sales on digital art and how it's bought and collected and protected. So I think there are very positive dynamics in the market. I mean, as you say that NFTs are largely at the moment sold via independent marketplaces and not usually by galleries, though that is changing. So what do dealers say about how the NFT market might impact the mainstream market? Are they up for bridging the gap, so to speak? I think a lot of them are still not sure. You know, we did ask them about NFTs and what they think about sales in the future. And there was a very high proportion of people that weren't sure. But I think the whole development of NFT platforms, a little bit like the development of the online space generally has been about democratization of the market. So trying to get the general public involved or, you know, move out of that very elitist world of top collectors and galleries and art and making art more accessible, as well as this kind of thing of disintermediation. So bringing artists directly in contact with buyers. We've seen that in other cultural industries, in films and books and music and stuff, that when we moved into digital production and distribution, there was a lot of worries about what would happen to those markets, not just the control of revenues for artists and their agents and intermediaries, but also that there would be an oversupply of low-quality amateur works coming onto the market because the digital production and distribution made it so much cheaper and easier. You could do it without getting these gatekeeping intermediaries vetting and accrediting you and the, the actual costs were lower. And what it 
has really meant in practice is there was a bigger flow of perhaps what might be seen as derivative or lower quality work. And that might not be appealing to everybody, but that big flow also includes a significant amount of work that wouldn't have come to the market otherwise and that some people really value. So we're still going to see how that trickles down, this unfiltered production, if you like, how that'll unfold in the art market. But I think some people are only interested in the collectible value and the scarcity of certain things. And some people are more interested in the quality and aesthetics and the content and what it means and how it makes them feel. So I think as long as buyers are not able to be fully informed about the quality of artists and it costs you time and money and effort to find out about them, the role of dealers in intermediation and vetting quality and sorting information is still going to be highly valuable. So these platforms have had a huge role in increasing interest in art and collectibles, but their role in disrupting the traditional infrastructure through removing the need for intermediation is maybe not as clear or is a little bit more questionable. I mean, they've added more sellers and more intermediaries rather than replacing the ones. And the report does this a lot. It's allowed us the time to reflect on why dealers are important. Why do we need their knowledge and their expertise? And it's a hugely, it's not, you know, people see it's difficult to explain to government sometimes that this isn't a retail sector. It's not a goods sector. It's a service sector. So it's based on knowledge and expertise and access and contacts. We did a lot of research on the employment dynamics of the sector in this report. Over 80% of the sector have university degrees and you know more than a third have masters and PhDs. So it's not a normal retail sector. It's a service sector and it's a profession. And I think collectors still really value that knowledge and expertise and they value the long-term aspects of working with a gallery or a dealer rather than the one-off type of transaction that you would get on a platform. These are all sort of qualities that could potentially benefit the NFT market and vice versa. You mentioned the breakdown of sales that had been undertaken via online viewing rooms at fairs and they contributed just 4% of dealer sales in the first half of 2021. What were the obstacles dealers faced here? Do you have any information on that or any anecdotes from dealers? I think it goes down to the reason why we had art fairs in the first place. I mean, a lot of the reasons they developed years ago was to recreate that one-room excitement that you might get at a big auction sale. It's an opportunity, obviously, to meet people and exchange ideas, and as well as the actual transacting that went on. And I think that's been really difficult to recreate online. The big thing, I'm sure you've heard this as well from talking to collectors and, and galleries, was the flood of, of offerings online and how difficult that is to absorb when you're looking at so many things in one go. People were able to absorb maybe one gallery's online viewing room quite well. And galleries' own websites and online viewings did quite well. But I think this area is improving and I think it's certainly going to be an important way for a lot of collectors and other people to access fairs if they can't or if they don't want to travel. That's a little bit of what we're seeing this year as well. Even when the restrictions are lifted, there still is a hesitation towards actually traveling for fear of getting stuck or for fear of your health or all kinds of reasons or just people are concerned about sustainability. And so I think this is going to be something that improves all the time. I think some of the figures do underestimate the effects of the online viewing room. So people browse and go through galleries and see galleries for the first time. And that sparks an interest in them going off and looking at the gallery, maybe not in this format, but contacting the gallery outside of the online viewing room for the fair. So the little bump in gallery sales may be somewhat connected to the marketing efforts of the fair online viewing room. So it's difficult to know where buyers, new buyers are coming from. Galleries did see, even at the high end, did see an, an uptick in new collectors buying from them online over the last six months. So some of this could be down to the art fair 
online viewing rooms. And I think this area will have to keep on improving. Indeed, we'll be looking at a hybrid scenario going forward where many, if not all, art fairs have the fair in real life and then the digital offerings alongside that. So certainly here to stay. Another aspect to the report that piqued my interest, Claire, is about women collectors. And as the number of female billionaires has been increasing faster than men, spending by women is up one third on 2020 levels to 410,000, which is more than double the level of their male counterparts. Anecdotally, what's the reason behind this? And is there any information about the kinds of art women are buying? I mean, this is pretty amazing, these figures. And it's not just the peculiarity of this sample, because it's something that we've been noting in a few of the wider samples we've done with UBS Investor Watch. It's difficult to really put a finger on exactly why it's happening. I mean, the most obvious driver would be that this is obviously a really defining decade for women's wealth. It's growing at a faster pace than it ever has before. Billionaires are growing faster than men. Although when I say they're growing faster, it's from where they're coming from is still such a minority in this very, very high end of wealth. So I think it definitely could be related to that. And I was trying to think more. Women have tended to show stronger buying through gallery channels. And the fact that galleries have done that little bit better than the auction sector over this period could be driving that a little bit as well. They, for some reason, men seem to buy more or buy at higher prices at auction and women buy at higher prices in the gallery sector for some reason. So it's difficult to put a finger on exactly why this is happening, but it's been a really fascinating one to watch and some really interesting dynamics in the sector in terms of gender diversity. Obviously, the kind of art that women are buying, it's difficult to say that there's consistent differences. They're still in terms of, do they buy more female artists? We haven't seen that, but that's because the supply of what comes onto the market is predominantly still swinging in favour of male artists. But that is changing. We've tracked that over the last few years and the proportion of sales by galleries in particular of female artists has been gradually increasing. And there's some really interesting dynamics in the employment in the gallery sector as well. We knew that the sector was always based on a strong proportion of women, and around 60% of people in the gallery sector are women, which is much higher than the general labour force, which is, tends to be less than 50 there is a kind of a myth that the people involved in the sector, the women involved in the sector are in lower paid roles. It was really interesting in this study in the gallery sector that close to half of the people running galleries, the founders of galleries, whether they're co-founders or founders on their own, were women in the primary market. And women make up the majority of people at the partner level and in senior roles like sales and commercial directors. So it's not just that there's more women employed in the sector, they are involved at a high level. And it'd be interesting to track going forward, does the performance of galleries that are run by women versus men differ in any way or the types of artists they represent? So it's opening up so many different dynamics for research in the future that we're going to keep an eye on. Absolutely. As you say, will that trickle down to the kind of artists that are bought and sold? Lastly, Claire, I just wondered if we could look to the future and how you see the role of the dealer changing in this increasingly digitised world. Your report notes some concern among dealers that as more sales move online, the trend for artists to sell directly through Instagram and other digital channels is likely to escalate and it could possibly bypass the gallery system altogether. I mean, do you think that's a possible scenario? I think that that happens already in some cases that, you know, artists are commissioned and that they sell privately. I think the platforms and NFTs and other online platforms for selling have facilitated other artists at various levels to do that more easily. But I do think that these things are expanding the base of people interested in art. So it's not necessarily taking a slice of the dealer sector, but expanding the whole pie. And I think dealers still play a really important role in intermediating between 
collectors and artists, and they do improve the efficiency of the market by reducing the gaps in knowledge on either side, by artists and collectors, and the costs of trying to get information and see things in person. And obviously in the fine art market, they play a critical role in managing the careers of artists. We've tried to look at this in the report as well, using exhibition data to show how critical commercial galleries are all the way through an artist's life cycle. I think artists selling directly can work in a once-off capacity and they can develop collectors independently, but I think it's the relationship-based approach to their business and the focus on long-term ties with artists and collectors rather than one-off sales that will keep dealers very relevant going forward. Their discerning eyes are needed and appreciated. Well, Claire, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Annie. And thank you, Annie and Claire, for those insights. I'm Jenny Fulton, Executive Editor at Art Basel, and I'm here with Paul Donovan, Chief Economist of Global Wealth Management at UBS and a published author. As co-publisher of the Art Market Report, UBS offers insight into the wider economic landscape, wealth creation and luxury consumer trends. And Paul, zooming out from the art market for a moment to consider parallels of the wider economy, what has the economic recovery been like in the first half of 2021? And what should we expect for the rest of the year and into the next? So for the first half of this year, the recovery has varied, essentially depending on where you are in the world, because it's very, very much the case that it is easing of restrictions that has dictated the pace of the economic revival. So in places like the United States or the United Kingdom, where restrictions have been eased fairly early on, the economic bounce back has happened quite early. In developed markets, the initial driver of growth has been consumer spending. In emerging markets, it has been exporting into that consumer demand in the developed world. Now, you just referenced spending patterns. How are these changing in the art market and beyond? So in the first phase, what has happened is people have gone out and spent money. They've been accumulating savings during the lockdown. And so they've gone out and they've spent money on things in the first instance. And we've seen quite phenomenal demand for goods. And a lot of it has been focused on the home because you've been stuck at home for the last you know, 18 months, staring at your outdated decor, watching home makeover programs on Netflix. Your first instinct, as soon as you can get out of the house, is to go and do something about it. But then over time, it transitions into having fun. And uh, having fun means spending money that passes the Instagram test. So in the second phase, people are going out and they're spending money on things they can post about on Instagram afterwards. So that's uh, meals out, that's holidays, that's entertainment and things like clothing. Now, I think that the art market actually comes in both of these categories that, of course, art is very often physical. It's something you want around the home. It's something people are passionate about. But also the art experience is very much a, a fun experience. It's a social experience, obviously, going to exhibitions and galleries and so on. So I think that the art market actually is capturing both of these trends and potentially benefiting as a result from this upswing in consumer spending. What do you see as the positives and opportunities for the art market here? I think that the, the shift to online activity, online retail, 
online socializing, the online conferences, podcasting, all of this sort of thing has been so abrupt, so clear that the art market is, I think, embracing this. And in previous Art Basel reports, we've talked about perhaps the art market being a little bit slow in terms of going online. It's tended to try and maintain some real world exclusivity, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that this process has accelerated the opportunities online. And what I regard as an inevitable trend has been sped up. I would also argue, though, that people have been using the very unusual circumstances of the pandemic to reassess aspects of their life perhaps broaden their education. So things like podcasts have actually got people interested in areas that they were perhaps on the fringes or a little bit nervous about. The education of online, of YouTube videos, of podcasting, etc., is very, very democratic. And I think in that process, more people are perhaps getting involved in a wide range of cultural activities, including art. And this perhaps is going to bring some new blood into the art market, if we can put it that way, that there's a new range of people who have used the experience of the last 18 months to look around and say, well, you know, if I'm not in the rat race, you know, on the treadmill, constantly worrying about commuting to work, getting back and so on and so forth, maybe there's something else I can look at to fill some of my spare time. And I think art is filling that void for some people. That's actually a really amazing development because, I mean, obviously so many museums opened up their portals, so many galleries made their collections accessible online. So it's really interesting to see how this has impacted consumer behaviour. Now, what gets you excited about economics? Well, I mean, economics is life, isn't it? Everything we do, everything we do is an economic decision in some way because the economic problem, the very, very core of economics is that we have finite resources and infinite desires. And so actually, every decision we take is an economic decision in some way, shape or form, which is why I say everyone can understand economics. I get very, very angry about my profession's attempts to sort of cloak itself in jargon and make itself this impenetrable ivory tower. And what I think economics can do, and we need to do better, is offer impartial analysis of difficult topics, difficult decisions. So there are many, many aspects of issues around immigration, for example, or concepts around prejudice at the moment, which is something I've been doing a lot of work on, really complicated issues without getting rational and emotional about it. Indeed. And can you share with us which books you've been reading over the summer now we're getting back into school mode? So a biography I read fairly recently is Mohsin Zaidi's A Dutiful Boy. Fascinating biography. I mean, Mohsin is relatively young, but it talks about growing up in East London. And he was growing up a couple of miles away from where I live in East London and his journey to Oxford and coming out as a gay Muslim man. And it's a beautifully written book. I've also been reading Capitalisms and Gay Identities by Stephen Veloci, which is a very interesting somewhat technical interpretation of the relationship between sexuality prejudice and economic society. And I'm just starting on Duncan Weldon's new book, Muddling Through, which is an economic history of the United Kingdom, which is actually a very, very accessible book. Thank you very much, Paul. I shall look up those recommendations. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for listening to Intersections, the Art Basel podcast brought to you by UBS. We'll have a new show every other week. To make sure you don't miss an episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you like the show, please tell a friend and consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Audiation.